Hi, my name is Jackie and welcome to After the Last Page, a show where I read books of all genres, some trending and some not, and I'll give you my unbiased reviews. Let's get started. Welcome back to After the Last Page. Today's review is the book of Cold Cases by Simone St. James, the author of The Sundown Motel. Now, this book in hardcover form is 341 pages, and it features dual point of view. The genre is horror or mystery, and this book features a haunted house and a small town. No one would ever believe a small-town woman could be a murderer in 1977, let alone a serial killer. And then, there's Beth Greer. Shaken by two seemingly random murders, the town of Clear Lake, Oregon needs someone to blame. Who would bring such terrible violence into a safe, small town like Clear Lake? That's why Beth Greer is the perfect suspect. She's pretty, rich, a bit unconventional, and young. At just 23, she's the perfect scapegoat, and the town is sure she had to do it. After all, she was seen fleeing one of the crime scenes. But when Beth is acquitted, it seems the murders will go unsolved, and the town will have no one to blame. Shay Collins is a waiting room receptionist by day and a true crime blogger by night. A lifetime Clear Lake resident and an escaped child abductee herself, the Lady Killer murders are one of her favorite unsolved cases. When Beth Greer walks into Shay's waiting room, she almost doesn't recognize her at first, until she does. Excited by the possibility of meeting a real-life crime celebrity, Shay follows Greer out of the office and asks her for an exclusive interview. To her surprise, Greer says yes. Meeting regularly at Beth's mansion at the edge of town, Shay and Beth begin an unlikely companionship as they begin to unravel the most popular crime case the town of Clear Lake has ever seen. Shay realizes the house has uncannily stayed the same since the 1970s, and she's sure there's a reason why. As the two explore their different stories and go back in time to visit the Lady Killer murders, Shay learns the truth about the unchanging mansion, the danger lurking in the dark, and the real reason nothing has changed since 1977. And now let's get into today's reading of the Book of Cold Cases, starting with chapter one. Clear Lake, Oregon. The Greer Mansion sat high on a hill overlooking the town and the ocean. To get to it from downtown, you had to leave the pretty shops and the creaking seaside piers and drive a road that wound upward towards the cliffs. You passed the heart of Clear Lake, the part of town where the locals lived and the tourists didn't usually go. You passed a grid of shops and low apartment blocks, local diners and hair salons. On the outskirts of town, you passed newer developments built between the foot of the cliffs and the flat land on the edge of the inland lake that gave the town its name. The land was too wet and rocky to keep building, so the newer developments tapered off into woods and two-lane roads. Along the west edge of the lake were homes built in the 70s, squat shapes in brown brick and cream siding, the gardens neatly kept for over 40 years by people who had never moved away. Past those houses, around the other edges of the lake, there was nothing but back roads, used only by hikers, hunters, fishermen, and teenage kids looking for trouble. In the 70s, the houses along the lake were for the up-and-coming ones, the people with good jobs. 
Everyone else lived in town, and if you were rich, you lived on the hill. The road climbed on the north side of the lake. The houses were set far apart here for privacy, and the roads were kept narrow and uneven, as if trying to keep outsiders away. The wealthy had come to Clear Lake in the 20s, when the town was first created, looking for a place that was scenic, secluded, and cheap to build big houses. They brought their money from Portland and California and settled in. Some of the houses sat empty after the stock market crash, but they filled up again during the boom after World War II. The people who lived here called the neighborhood Arlen Heights. The Greer Mansion was one of the original houses in Arlen Heights. It was an ugly Frankenstein of a house, even when it was built. A pseudo-Victorian style of slanted roofs and spires, though the walls were of butter-yellow brick. And when Julian Greer bought it in 1950, with his newly inherited pharmaceutical fortune, he made it worse. He remodeled the lower floor to be more modern, with straight lines and dark brown wood. He also put in a bank of windows along the back wall to open up the house's dark, gloomy interior. The windows looked out to the house's back lawn and its drop-off to the ocean beyond. The effect was supposed to be sweeping, breathtaking, but like most of Julian's life, it didn't work out as planned. The windows fogged and the view was bleak. The lawn was flat and dead, and the ocean beyond the cliff was choppy and cold. Julian had done the renovations in hopes of pleasing his new wife, Mariana, but instead the relentless view from the windows unsettled her, and she kept the curtains closed. She decorated the rest of the house dutifully, but listly, which was a harbinger of their marriage. Something about the Greer mansion stifled laughter and killed happiness. It might sound dramatic, but anyone who had lived there knew it was true. By 1975, both Julian and Mariana were dead. Julian with his blood all over the kitchen floor, Mariana in the twisted wreck of a car crash. The house watched all of it happen, indifferent. Tonight, it was raining, a cold, hard downpour that came in from the ocean. Arlen Heights was quiet, and the Greer Mansion was dark. The rain spattered hard on the panes of glass, tracing lines down the large windows overlooking the lawn. The dark skeletons of the trees on either side of the house bowed back and forth in the wind, the branches scraping the roof. Drops popped the empty driveway. The house was still and silent, stoic under the wind and water. On the lawn, something moved across the surface of the grass, the touch of a footprint. Inside the house, one of the cupboard doors opened in the dark kitchen, groaning softly into the silence. In a bedroom window, a shape appeared, shadowy and indistinct. The blur, perhaps, of a face. A handprint touched the bedroom window, the palm pressing into the glass. For a second, it was there, pale and white, though there was no one to see. The wind groaned in the eaves. The handprint faded. The figure moved back into the darkness and the house was still once more. After that short excerpt, let's get into today's review. Now, after reading this book, I've decided to rate it two and a half out of five stars. Let me start off by saying that I loved The Broken Girls by Simone St. James. 
I read it last summer. I finished it probably in less than 24 hours. So when I saw that Book of the Month had the Book of Cold Cases on early release, I immediately added it to my box. I was excited to read this book for a variety of reasons. Now, first off, I love St. James' ability to combine both ghosts and murder mysteries. Her character development skills are always incredible, and they really engage the reader. And most of all, I love St. James's quick-witted surprise moments that really make her book so easy to fall in love with. You know, those little moments make me want to sit and read the entirety of her book in one sitting. So when I picked up the book of cold cases, that is exactly what I was expecting. Yet I found this novel, well, it fell a little flat for me, especially after reading some of St. James's other stories. I do think that this particular book is all about character development. While I love a good murder mystery, the story of this mystery isn't the main aspect of this novel. It's Beth and Shay. The two characters rely on each other to grow, and without each other, they're stuck. This presents an interesting dilemma since as a murder mystery, the plotline is usually the foremost part of the novel. While I enjoyed watching Shay grow into, grow into a multi-dimensional character facing her anxieties, I can't really understand why she would connect with Beth in the first place, given how intense her fears are. Shay had every opportunity to confront her fears on her own. She's surrounded by people who have tried to support her, like her friend, Michael, and her sister, Esther, and even her parents, who moved to Florida. And at every turn, she chooses to put up a wall between every relationship in her life. The connection between Shay and Beth is certainly fascinating, if not only for this specific reason. Yet, Beth's character develops because of Shay as well. Beth needs someone to release her from a lifetime of guilt and secret keeping, and Shay does exactly that. It's almost as if the two characters are using each other for their mutual benefit, though not necessarily in a good way. I'm not entirely sure that Beth and Shay are a good influence on each other, and perhaps this is what St. James wants the reader to get from the story. As far as the plotline goes, it's difficult not to spoil the ending. Don't worry, I won't. As St. James gives away the killer's identity barely halfway through, this bothered me to no end. Though the book seemingly is more about Shay and Beth's story than the killer's story, it's still important to have that aspect of conflict later on in the novel, especially with this type of genre. Once we get the killer's information, there's not much left to ask but why. Since we already know why the killer chooses to murder at the halfway point, the question isn't why the killer is who they are, but instead why Beth chooses to tell the story now. The resulting answer to this question isn't as exactly a surprise considering where Shay and Beth first met. Now, I love a good murder mystery, especially one that includes ghosts. Simone St. James has written stories that I loved, but I'm not entirely sure the Book of Cold Cases did it for me. I would have loved to see the killer's identity revealed later on than halfway through this novel. I do understand why this book was written in the succession it was, yet it didn't leave much for the reader after the halfway point. 
At this point, we're kind of just putting together the pieces with the rest of the novel. I can definitely see this book being one that readers are struggling to finish. While I absolutely love St. James as an author, and I will continue to support her work, the Book of Cold Cases was a bit of a flop in my perspective. There are certain aspects of it that read well, and I admire what St. James hoped to accomplish with character development, but there were just too many definitive, ans definitive answers and a book that should have had more questions. Thanks so much for joining us at After the Last Page for this week's review of The Book of Cold Cases. If you'd already read this novel, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Did you agree with me? Did you not? If you want to leave a comment, go ahead and check out our website. The post will be at afterthelastpage.com slash thebookofcoldcases. If you want to go ahead and leave a comment, I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you haven't already, if you go to that page, you'll also be able to see a link to purchase the book on Amazon. If you're not sure what to read next, check out our most recent book review, Circe by Madeline Miller. We'll see you next time here at After the Last Page.